Well, hello, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast. I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to share with you stories that empower you to do, to be, to achieve, and to impact more through your life. Maybe more simply said, I'm fired up to share with you stories that help you live inspired. After today's episode, I hope you share with your friends, your family, your colleagues, your letter carrier, your dog walker, that stranger seated next to you on the bus ride, that lady working out right next to you, the guy checking out in front of you. In other words, share with everyone that you're listening and that you are subscribing to the Live Inspired podcast. Together as a Live Inspired community, we can change the world. And now, let's get started with today's episode. Welcome to the Live Inspired podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book, On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Did you know that more than 15,000 children will be diagnosed with cancer in the United States this year? And did you know that more than 300,000 around the world will be diagnosed with cancer? My friends, it is everywhere. So how do we react when an unwanted diagnosis appears or when adversity arises, whether it's with a child, a loved one, or for ourselves? How do we move forward with compassion, with courage, with love, with respect, but also with possibility and even certainty that the best remains ahead of us? Well, as a pharmaceutical oncology medical director, our guest today holds an MBA and a BS in chemistry and PharmD. Along with her many professional credentials, it's her personal journey that makes her an authority on transforming pain into purpose and struggle into strength. Her oldest son is a cancer survivor. He's an amputee. He's a Paralympic athlete. And you are about to hear an amazing, uplifting story from an amazing, uplifting guest. She's going to talk about how we can turn our mess into our message. My friends, buckle up. Get ready for a wild ride. Open wide your hearts, your minds, your journals as we get to introduce you to our newest friend. Her name is Dr. April Jones. April, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here today. We are delighted to have you on. As you know, I was able to read your book last week. For those who have not yet had the opportunity to read it, give give us a snapshot of the work and the life that you're living today. Oh, goodness. When I decided to write my book and, and really share my journey to help other people be encouraged and have hope, it's really been a, a roller coaster. Um, it's been empowering to me, for sure, to share my journey. A bit of a therapy session, mm-hmm. I would say, when you write. Um, and just seeing it impact other people in a positive way has been very fulfilling. And then that has developed into, you know, lots of of, of other opportunities as well that I didn't expect. Helping my son co-found a company together that is, uh, you know, its whole purpose is to inspire other people, as well as coaching other authors or hope, author hopefuls um, into sharing their story. And that's really what it's all about, inspiring each other and empowering each other to help other people based on the difficult experiences we've been through. 
Well, you've been through some, you lay out many of them in the book. I know many of them are stories that your neighbors knew and others were probably stories your own mother did not know. And you uh, you open <laughs> up wide as you share your story. It's beautiful. Why don't we begin at the beginning? What part of the country were you born? So I come from West Tennessee. It's a, a small town. It's uh, Crockett County. Shout out to all my <laughs> fellow Crockett Countyans. What's up, Crockett County? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so I come from a really small town. There's about 100 people in my graduating class for the whole county. Not not a not a ton to do, you know, except for riding four-wheelers and uh, hanging out in the cotton field. But it's it's a great community, a really great place. You had a somewhat typical childhood, and then some of the storms start showing up when your parents divorced, when they, when they separated. How, how did that separation affect you as a child? As I was growing up, I, I didn't see my parents argue very much. Um, I didn't really, you know, I was shielded, I think, a lot, as, as you know, as we do as parents, probably um, a lot of the time shield our children from, you know, difficulty that happens behind the scenes. So when the divorce came, I think I was really taken by surprise. And I was definitely at an impressionable age where it kind of rocked my trust for sure. And just, um, you know, and caused me to have a lot of questions about our purpose, our, you know, like faith, um, religion was a good part of my upbringing and, um, you know, really trying to understand, like, can we rely on people? How do we rely on God? What, what is destiny and predestiny and all of those things? I think it, it really caused me to question a lot and definitely impacted the way that I dealt with adversity moving forward. You share part of the the way you dealt with it in the book, and I'll let the readers go there themselves. You eventually, though, meet a young man named Billy. Talk about Billy and what was it that attracted you to him? The blue eyes, for sure. (laughs) I was 16 when we crossed paths. We're from the same small town. He definitely became um, a, a support person for me, someone who believed in me, someone who encouraged me when I really wasn't sure if I believed in myself, I think. And he was was down for adventure, I think, wanting also, you know, having kind of not similar goals per se, but mm-hmm. in terms of growing as a person, getting out of that small town and just kind of figuring out what life holds outside of the walls, so to speak. So you meet this blue-eyed boy who is uh, up for adventure and getting outside of these walls. You marry fairly early. It's funny because over the weekend, I had a conversation with a cousin who was going to a wedding the following weekend. And she said, "Uh, yeah, they're getting married kind of young. They're both just 30. And I'm thinking, (laughs) "Woo, man, 30, huh? That's young. You got married a little bit before 30. So uh, tell our listeners how old you were when you and Billy tied the knot. Yeah, I was 19. And, um, you know, that wasn't super uncommon for where I grew up. I think a lot of people, and and I don't know if this is something just particular to small towns, but, um, you know, for us there, it wasn't uncommon for us to um, develop strong relationships early on in high school. And a lot of people just envision themselves staying there, you know, like, building a life, um, whether that's farming or, you know, just whatever the small town has to offer, just staying there and, and building a family and being near to the families that raised them. And, you know, there's definitely nothing wrong with that. I think for me, I was a little bit conflicted about what life was going to look like for me, but I knew that it was important for me to have something stable. I mm-hmm. think it gave me a sense of safety and security. So we did get married young. I was 19. He was 22. 
And I was in college at the time. You you had a little bit different than the people that were in college with me, for sure. A little bit different. You had big plans, though, through the education. And then just three weeks after your 20th birthday, life begins to change for you. Tell us why. Oh, yes. It was three weeks after my 20th birthday and exactly three months after we had gotten married, I found out I was pregnant. (laughs) We were careful but that that didn't matter. And, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and yeah, I found out that I was going to be bringing this other life. So, you know, like not only trying to figure out how to be an actual grown up, I was going to have to figure out how to be a mom too. You know, I, I appreciated your honesty around your reaction. When, when I first learned that Beth and I were expecting our first, I was stunned. I, I wasn't, I, I did not think <laughs> financially prepared and certainly not emotionally and spiritually ready for this. I thought you had a similar reaction. You you knew you weren't ready for this. So how did you, how'd you respond? When I found out that I was pregnant, I was pretty shocked. I was not happy. I was upset. <laughs> I was upset, you know, and I think basically I really wanted to be honest with my feelings um, as I shared them through my book. I think that part of becoming a professional, trying to learn how to be a leader and be an example, uh, you kind of learn how to be polished. And I wanted to teach others that um, even the most polished people don't necessarily always have it all together and that we all struggle with difficult feelings. And for me, it was you know, I was a bit ashamed that my feelings were that I didn't want a child and that this was happening to me and I didn't see it as a blessing. And I I really prayed that, you know, God, don't just let it go away. Like, don't let me be pregnant. I wanted, you know, whether that's like pray for a miscarriage or just whatever, I, I didn't, I didn't think that this was supposed to be the plan for me. It's not what I wanted. And, you know, when I look back now and I know that, you know, how special the kids are to me and how I wouldn't change a minute or, you know, I'd never want to live my life without them. um, I was definitely ashamed of that. And I felt like it made me look unplanned or unprepared. But one of the things I hope that my readers take away is that we can always learn from our feelings, even if we don't like them and that we control how we react to situations. So you react to the situation at first with disappointment and gloom and then eventually joyful awaiting. And then Tyler shows up. He is a bundle of joy. And then life changes again about two years into his life. Talk about Tyler and talk about this, this, this inflection point for both of you. Tyler actually came early. So that was also kind of a, uh, an unexpected challenge that we endured. I was diagnosed with preeclampsia and he came about seven to eight weeks early. I think at that point, like I knew at some time during the pregnancy that I was going to to really embrace this new this new change in my life as being becoming a mom. After he was born early, and I realized like how precious his life was, and that I wanted to him to be healthy and well and thrive, um, and that it was very important for me not to lose him. It really gave me a you know a different perspective about what being a mom is. And I really embraced it so much. And I just knew that that was like all the things that I could be like, that's the best. (laughs) That was the best part Mm -hmm. of me was, was getting to be his mom. So when he was almost two, we got a diagnosis of cancer. Definitely. I had a lot of feelings of blame for 
there was a time where I didn't want him and, you know, that this could somehow be punishment for that or, um, you know, and just really scared of, of what was to come. Mm. Let's talk about that diagnosis. What, what did you learn and what was the prognosis? Even with his diagnosis, it was very kind of um, up and down. So originally, we, when we found out that he had the tumor, it was in his right foot, and um, we met with uh, we met with the doctor, and you know, got a plan for for what comes next. And that meant that the first thing was that we had to do a biopsy, and with the biopsy, we got a uh, a misdiagnosis. So, you know, within a tumor, there's all these different layers and, you know, different points. And the spot that we got was not really indicative of what was happening. So we we had surgery to get to take the tumor out Mm -hmm. and without, you know, like considering margins or considering chemo or anything else to, you know, like prevent recurrence because we thought that it was benign. So, um, after the tumor was removed, it, we were just making this plan to like get hit his foot better, you know, cause at that point he had this post-surgical scar that had to heal. And, um, so we were kind of on that path and then we found out that, well, it, once we took the whole tumor out, it doesn't look like we expected. And we aren't sure exactly what kind of cancer you have, but you definitely have cancer. So um, it was a bit a bit aggressive. It um, grew, it completely filled the pocket that it came out of, two to three centimeter tumor um, within just a few weeks of having it removed. And so mm-hmm. then at that point, we're referred to the pediatric oncology hospital, research hospital there in Memphis. So you, you go through that journey of not knowing, of fear, of praying, of going through the treatments. Share with me and our listeners when you recognized, when you were told that all the treatment that you'd been going through, all the treatment that he'd been enduring, that it was not working. You know, it's really devastating when you know that um, you're, you know, you're trying to have faith that... God is going to make everything better. And you have faith in these providers and researchers that they, you know, know more than, than, you know, they know more than anyone else knows. And even when you're getting the highest quality of care, that things aren't going your way still, that's, it, it is definitely devastating. And, um, I think for us, we were absolutely one of the lucky ones. I, I know that that um, an amputation was a possible potential solution. Through that, we actually were able to um, be in full remission with others. You know, they're not always so lucky. So we knew that we had this this as an option and that if we hurried, you know, that we could do that without hopefully allowing the, the cancer to spread but it was still one of those situations where, you know, even though you, you have, you're faced with these options that are potential solutions, they can still be very scary options. And, you know, and we didn't know what life would look like after, after an amputation or, you know, basically inflicting mm. a disability on Tyler that he wasn't born with. So my parents, you know, are the, the mother and father of a boy named John O'Leary, who at age nine was burned. And, <laughs> What they've told me is the hardest thing they've ever had to do during that period of treatment was when they had to sign off on the orders that gave the doctors permission to amputate my fingers. 
And they just described it as the most heart-wrenching decision to make for a child. Yes, it may have saved his life, but geez, at what cost? That was what they, they struggled with mightily. So on February 2nd, 2004, you have that same piece of paper put in front of you, this decision for a little child to take his leg. Just take us through the the emotional journey that allows and frees you to say, you know what, this isn't easy, but this is the right path. You know, I can very much relate to uh, to your mom's story. I listened, um, you know, to her account and um, it really hit home for me. I mean, I definitely felt um, a kinship to what she went through that day was devastating for us in one aspect. Like I knew like my logical side of my brain knew that I should be thankful somehow that this was happening because it was potentially getting rid of the cancer. But at the same time, I knew that it would be a life changing event. You know, that morning we, you know, just as parents do, we want to protect our kids from the bad that's happening, you know, Mm -hmm. and shelter them a bit. So we didn't want Tyler to be scared. So even though we were like completely terrified that morning, like we really tried to be business as usual and we got up and we got ready and just kind of made the usual trek to the hospital. We got to check in and I was hoping like that they would say, oh, well, you're not, you know, we don't have you on mm-hmm. the schedule today. <laughs> but, you know, that didn't happen. They, they of course, did have us on the schedule. And then, um, you know, like we got to the, we got to the OR suite and we had hoped, you know, like, oh, well, maybe they'll say like, you know, something's changed where, you know, we can't do it today. Or, you know, like they check his foot and miraculously mm-hmm. the tumor is gone because, you know, that there's accounts where that has happened. And, and so that's what I really was grasping for, just like at this last moment that something miraculous would happen. And, and it didn't. So as we were about, so as he was about to go back, you know, Billy and I just held his hands and and said, you know, like, we just want you to know that even though you've been sick, like we're going to have surgery today and hopefully you're never going to be sick again. Um, we have, the doctor has to take your foot away. Mm-hmm. And um, that means that we're going to have to get, we're going to have to get you a new foot, like a robot foot, you know, hopefully you won't ever have to do any more treatments or tests or any of that. And, um, and we're going to, we're going to learn how to, how to use a new foot. And, you know, like, Tyler was still young. Of course, he was only about two and a half. And um, I think he kind of just understood a little bit of the gravity that we're telling him something serious. Mm -hmm. And he was a bit scared. And, you know, he started to cry and and we started to cry. And so, um, you know, we asked him if he wanted to race one more time. (laughs) And um, so (laughs) we did that. The three of us raced down the OR hall just gave him big hugs and um, Billy went with him back into surgery. And and it was of all of the moments, probably one of the hardest that I had to endure for sure. Well, you wrote, as you're sharing that story, these words, sometimes it takes losing everything we thought was important to us to find we have everything that we actually need. Sometimes we have to hit rock bottom before we will force ourselves to finally look up. In, in hearing your own words, tell me why you wrote them. Um, yeah, I think, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think hearing you read that de- definitely brings back a lot of the feelings and emotions that I had in sharing that. And, and I, I believe that uh, sometimes we have to be in a place that is so painful that 
it makes us open our eyes to what's important and what's possible also. In order for us to really understand that, we might not be in control of what happens to us, but there is still hope. And, and I hope that, that's, that my readers walk away with that. You, during this journey, were not alone. You had a spouse. And I, I do want to ask you how you weathered this storm of adversity together. I think that's in shocking and beautiful and intriguing. But you also had friends. Talk about Todd and Dawn. I, I definitely think God puts people in your path, you know, when you need them the most, um, even when you really feel alone. I think early on when Tyler was getting treated, you know, if you were to ask me about Todd and Dawn's story, I would have been a bit fearful, honestly, to, to be close to them and be reminded that your child might not make it through what they're going through. Um, you know, they lost their son, Shay at St. Jude. And they were such big supporters of other people going through these difficult situations. They made themselves available. They were volunteering with um, this charity that connected them to other families that were dealing with difficulty. And um, he was a a police officer with Billy. And Mm. so they were very uh, just warm and welcoming to us and kind and just had this presence about them that was sweet. So I think part of me wanted to forget that that could be our outcome. But at the same time, like seeing that they had lost their child and he was very similar in age to Tyler. And, you know, so they literally went through what we were going through, except their outcome was not, you know, what we would have wanted to be the intended outcome. Mm. They were so strong and just so amazing and still faithful. That really inspired me to know that, okay, well, things might not go the way that we want it to go, but here are these people who've suffered through that and they are still strong, amazing people. And it inspired me um, and us to be strong. April and all of our synagogues and churches and schools and places of worship and offices, we have families and leaders around us who are going through their own storms, whether it's cancer or Parkinson's disease or the, the loss of a family member. We, we all know these individuals. We all know the April Joneses of the world who have something going on, on in their life. What was something done by someone else in your community for you and your family during that time that, that made a difference? And it doesn't have to be this beautiful heroic story of Todd and Dawn really walking with you a path they knew so well. But were there other things done that made a difference? And maybe the people who did it for you did not even know to the degree that it made a difference in your life. Absolutely. Um, I would say uh, two things stand out the most to me. Um, One is the support that we found through a church there. So the chaplain at the police department, um, Brother Steve, he pastored a church, First Baptist in South Haven. I'll give them a shout out. And the people there, um, so we were a couple of hours away at that point. I was in pharmacy school there in Memphis. And of course, Tyler was receiving treatment in Memphis. And so we were a couple of hours away from like the family and church that, you know, we grew up around and knew. So we were a bit isolated in that sense. And, um, you know, they were very persistent with their prayers and their love. And that church really reached out to us and tried to make us feel supported. They crocheted hats for when that winter when Tyler didn't have his hair. They 
brought a stinner when they knew that we were going to be at the hospital for, um, you know, on our treatment days. And we were there for a really long time and exhausted. And they would send us cards and everyone and say, you know, like we prayed for you in our Sunday school meeting today and everyone in the Sunday school meeting signed it. Um, So I think it was the little things, just the reminders Mm -hmm. that we weren't alone. That was super helpful and impactful to us. And then the other thing that really happened that I think was so encouraging was um, Tyler's Make-A-Wish grant. It it's, was it's one of the questions amazing. I wanted to ask you because it's, <laughs> you know, there are moments when you hear stories or you see videos online or you read someone's book where you're like, yes, like just what, what a cool moment. So talk about the Make-A-Wish granted to him at age three. It's probably one of the most memorable experiences in my life, I, I would have to say. So, you know, Billy was a police officer there. We had so much community support. So even though we were at this town where neither one of us had grown up there or, you know, had been there re- really for very long at that point, it was like the whole town came together. The uh, DeSoto Athletic Center, there was the grantor of our wish. And we basically had like a huge party there. Tyler and Billy sat in the front of this red fire engine and they shut off the main road in South Haven, which is a super busy, just always busy packed road. And they shut this road down and diverted traffic around so that we could have this parade for him. Tyler was like at the front of the fire engine and there was this parade in local schools. I believe three of the local schools actually learned songs specifically for this parade. They marched down the street. When we got to the parking lot of the DeSoto Athletic Center, there was, um, so Tyler was a huge Spider-Man fan. And so there, one of the guys on the SWAT team um, that worked there with Billy dressed up in a Spider-Man costume. And he, they had a new fire truck that went like 10 stories in the air. (laughs) And he said that, you know, he'd never went that high before. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a little bit terrifying. But he got up there and he repelled down from the bucket, like midair, just like dropped down out of this bucket from this fire truck. I mean, Tyler just lit up like a Christmas tree. He was so excited to see like this hero and like he came over was gonna give him a high five and Tyler basically just like jumped into his arms and gave him (laughs) this biggest hug and we actually have a picture of of his face from a newspaper clipping they caught it on camera and so we were on the news and it was in the newspaper and they told us that you know we were going to Disney and Universal, um, and that he'd get to see Spider-Man again there. And so, of course, as a mom, like Tyler's reaction was absolutely memorable and priceless. But also just like as this broken human, just seeing all of these people who many of them did not know us at all, show up to be there just to cheer us on and um, support us and say, you know, like, I know you're going through something hard, but like, we're here to celebrate his life was really life changing, to be honest. Little Tyler learns to cast his own web. (laughs) He gets, as you (laughs) described with the robotic foot, he learns how to take those first steps and then uh, eventually let go of the crutch and, and begin walking and then jogging and then racing forward into life. 
as you look back at that experience, I'm going to ask you this question in two ways, one kind of negative, one kind of positive. So the negative first, what regrets do you have as a mom, as a spouse, as a leader in life during that time? Things you wish you would have done differently or said differently or thought differently. And then we'll come back to it and ask it, ask it in a very different way. But what, what regrets do you have? And, and then how do you make sense out of, the, out of those regrets today? I feel like in terms of regrets, I wish that I had been more prepared, um, more educated. I think um, being you know, like looking for answers and understanding that I was only 22 when all of this happened. And I was just, um, you know, basically just coming out of being a kid myself. Um, if I could go back, I feel like I would have asked even more questions. I mean, mm. not that, not that they didn't do a good job or that the choice wasn't the best choice, but, you know, like as I tend to want to like analyze everything to ensure I'm making the best decision, I always wonder like, was this the best decision or could there have been another way or should we have sought a second opinion? And I'm sure that it wouldn't have changed every, anything, but I think that just that part of us is, is understanding like, okay, I've made a decision that's going to impact the rest of his life. I always still have that desire to, oh, I wish I could have went back and, and, you know, under, you know, what if there were other options mm-hmm. that I didn't know about at the time? I will say, though, that and and obviously as a mom and I'm sure your mom might agree, I, I heard I've heard you say before that, you know, if you could go back and change what happened to you, would you have avoided the accident? And, um, you know, me as a mom, and I'm sure you as your mom probably would say as well, if I could go back and like have Tyler not have had cancer or not experienced this or, you know, avoided that, I definitely I personally definitely would because, you know, that's your child and you don't want them to suffer. You don't want them to have pain or, or adversity. But Tyler has said before we were, he was actually featured in a docuseries this summer. And, you know, they asked him that question and he said, you know, absolutely. I wouldn't change it. I've met a lot of amazing people. I've challenged myself in different ways. I've I'm a different person because of what's happened to me and he would not go back. And so I think um, my regret is a bit different than yes, what sure. his would be. <laughs> Beautifully said. And you wrote a lot about regrets in the book. So I just wanted to give you an opportunity to speak to how we make sense out of them. And you did it, I think, beautifully. Mm-hmm. And now, secondly, as you looked out there at the community to others dealing with adversity who are struggling with cancer or an unwanted diagnosis of any type or a challenge in their relationship or a lack of a relationship, whatever it may be, what encouragement or advice would you give someone who's currently in the midst of a storm today? Oh, goodness. Have hope. Allow yourself the freedom to feel what you feel and know that that's okay. I talk in my book about being authentic, and I think that's something that I've learned is very important. I think for me, back then, I wanted to hide these feelings of brokenness and of fear. It it really is a disservice to yourself to do that. It's exhausting. It's hurtful. Um, So allow yourself to feel what you feel and don't be afraid to lean on others and lean on God. I think that's the biggest thing that I've taken away from all of this. 
and understanding that, you know, you do have the opportunity, like even when you're going through these very difficult things, understand that like it it might not be time for you yet to figure out how to make it a platform Mm. to propel yourself or to help others. But at some point, you will likely have that opportunity and you will get through it and you will be able to help others get through it. And that really helped me a lot. And it, it helps me a lot today. And then that it's temporary, like life is fleeting, just like the good moments are fleeting. So are the bad at some point, what your current situation is, is going to be the story that inspires someone else or helps you relate to someone else so that they can listen to what you have to say. Dr. April Jones, tell us why, is it Athlone, Ireland? Am I saying that first name properly, Athlone? Yes. Athlone, Ireland. I I am from the great country of Ireland. Uh, My family and I were there last summer. You were there in in Athlone, Ireland for an experience that I think you'll never forget. It's almost as big as the Spider-Man experience. So tell tell our (laughs) listeners what you were doing over in Ireland. We were very fortunate to uh, be able to watch Tyler compete in um, his first international competition there. Um, He was chosen for the international uh, wheelchair and adaptive sports team for the U.S. to uh, compete in track and field. I think it was really representative of the success of this journey. And, you know, as a mom, of course, I was so proud uh, to see him, you know, and scream for him and <laughs> watch him compete there. And, uh, of course, on on the competitive level, uh, as a mom, you're proud. But I think for me, it was also very symbolic of the fact that I have this child and, you know, he's his life has not been easy by any means. But to see just this amazing young man that he has become and in everything that he does, you know, in in the racing in um, his passion for helping and lifting others and, you know, whether that's building a business or trying to figure out his college path, I feel like I can look at, you know, as I was on the sidelines, I was looking at him and I was like, I was just amazed. I was Mm. just amazed by this human that he has become despite everything. And I would even add maybe because of everything. I think (laughs) it's going to tie into... I'm going to ask you about two quotes before we move into the Live Inspired 7. But two quotes that I underlined in your book were these. The first was, how someone treats you says nothing at all about you and everything about them. Tell me what those words mean <laughs> to you today. First off, we tend to we tend to be hard on ourselves, I think, a lot. And so, especially when we're going through a situation where, um, you know, whether that's a relationship that's personal or professional or in school, I think, um, you know, whenever you're dealing with situations um, where others are, are treating you in a way that you feel inferior or in a way that is um, that that you're actually being hurt by their actions, that perhaps it's really about them, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes that means maybe they're not really a great they, they don't have great character, but sometimes maybe they don't even realize that they're doing it or maybe they're in a hurtful situation and, and they're taking that and and lashing out at others. Um, and it really doesn't have anything to do with you. And so I think recognizing that has allowed me to be more forgiving for sure and to not be so hard on myself. Mm-hmm. I can recognize a lot of instances where, you know, perhaps I've cut people off or held grudges 
where, you know, I think if I had had that mindset at the time, I just would have moved on. I just Mm -hmm. would have been much more forgiving about it. Um, And we can't beat ourselves up about everything. I think um, you need to know who you are as a person. You have to be authentic and grounded in yourself. And then, you know, perhaps those things that that come your way, whether that's cattiness or the mean folks of this world, uh, just remember that, you know, you you are who you are and it's okay. And you're not everybody's cup of tea. So that's okay too. <laughs> well, speaking of tea, let's talk about tea for just a moment as we move toward the finish line together. So this is the the, the other quote that I underlined. Whether you are proud of where you came from, ashamed of it, or pretend it does not matter, you either let where you came from propel you forward or hold you back. But the good thing is this, you get to choose. Every one of us are who we are because of the experiences that we've had, our influences by our the influence of our environment or people in our environment. And so you really have to say like, this affects the way that you move forward. You know, for some people, it's easy to say that we're just a product of our environment. You know, you can't let things like um, where you came from or generational curses or others' opinions of you impact the way that you see yourself and what you're capable of. You really have to say, I am who I am because of all these things, but I get to make the choice of where I go from here. It makes me very sad whenever I meet someone who is struggling and um, they're really allowing those external barriers or influences affect how they see themselves. Thank you for sharing that. And we're gonna pivot now into what we call the Live Inspired Seven. It's a great way to tie the choice of how you move forward into these questions. So question number one for Dr. April Jones is what is the best book you have ever read? Growing up, I was a really avid reader. So this one is a hard one. But I think that The Shack mm. would be probably the one of the best books I've ever read. We had William Paul Young on our show. His interview is even better than his book. He, he's just such a thinker, a believer, creative, loving, open, great guy. But what, what was it about The Shack that you loved? For one, which may be a bit obvious, is how he was living in this hurt. Sometimes things that happen to us are so overwhelming that we just can't move forward from it. You know, like you feel like your only option is just to forget it and in order to heal. But like forgetting doesn't necessarily allow us to heal. Just forgetting doesn't allow us to heal. For him, it was kind of this, he had to be like this in-your-face experience recognizing what happened to him and how that impacted his beliefs and who he was and breaking down and being able to form that relationship with God to in order to really move forward from what had happened to him. And I feel like I saw myself in that quite a bit. April Jones, what is one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a little girl that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Definitely being able to imagine without analyzing. Mm. So (laughs) I think that a lot of times we can discourage ourselves or talk ourselves out of 
um, something bigger or a big blessing because we put our logic around it. And I do that to myself for sure. Um, so to being able to just wonder about the possibilities or just, you know, allow myself to really fully explore and experience without trying to, you know, put these barriers on it of mm. realism. Awesome. If, if your home caught fire and your kids, your animals, even Billy, everybody's out, everybody's safe, and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item, what's that one item you would grab? It's a necklace. My grandmother, well, she adopted my dad to me. She was my grandmother. She gave me a necklace, my first diamond necklace. It's just a very small diamond pendant with a delicate chain um, when I was six years old. And I, it has a handwritten note in it from mm. her that says a little something special for a special little girl. And um, <laughs> I think that um, she was just such a warm person. She actually passed away when I was 12 from cancer. And I think, um, you know, just that selfless example that she always that I always felt she she had. And she was just such this warm person that I remember. And the fact that like she saw me as special before I knew I was special mm. yet, I think um, that would be that would absolutely be something that I, that I take with me everywhere I go. See, I asked this question of all of our guests and frequently the answer is uh, my laptop or my photo album. And I, I get both. But I'm always hoping that someone shares an answer more like this, where it's just so based on an experience from decades ago that has very little financial worth. I mean, go go out to Kmart and get yourself a new little baby yes. diamond necklace. <laughs> and yet it, it's not the diamond necklace. This is my grandmother who believed in me before I believed in myself. Yes. Awesome, awesome answer. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anyone living or dead, who would you want to be seated on that bench with? Obviously, if I were given the opportunity to meet Jesus face to face, I would absolutely not turn that down. But let's say like he's not available or something <laughs> or well, he's always available. Let's say he's not a choice. <laughs> I think I would really want to talk to Oprah. Hmm. She has like the southern roots as well, but you know, she's lived this life full of just amazing experiences and being able to empower other women and other people and um, you know, believing that you know, she could change the world. And, um, and I, I hope that, you know, I can pursue my passion in a way that impacts others, um, in ways that I can't imagine. Expect it. I think one life at a time, it's how we change the world and Oprah learned to scale that, but one life at a time is how it's always done best. What's the best advice that you've ever received, April? The best advice I've ever received was from my friend, Julia. My whole life, I've always heard like, the kind of the flippant advice of, oh, what's the worst that could happen? But Julia kind of framed that in a way that was very different for me and just eye opening. And so when there was a time where I was super anxious about just like making a decision about something and trying to figure out, you know, I tend to like try to weigh all of the pros and the cons. And I was just worried about the situation. And she said, what's the worst that could happen? And I was like, are you asking me that rhetorically? <laughs> or, mm -hmm. And she's like, no, literally, what are you worried about that could be the worst outcome of this decision on each side? And um, so we kind of worked through that. And then she said, okay, 
how would you deal with that situation if it happened? And being able to kind of have this backup plan for dealing with whatever was to come, regardless of how I decided, put it into a different perspective for me where it seemed manageable and not so scary. And I use that now to deal with any situation that I'm ever anxious about. So there was a, a brain surgeon who wrote a book on taking the risk. And one of the, he asked four questions. And one of the questions was before he did the, the radical surgery was what's the worst thing that can happen if I do this thing? And it allowed him to take risks that otherwise most surgeons would not because they recognize, well, if they don't do the surgery, that this child, this patient's going to pass away. And so what's the worst that can happen? Well, the same that if we do nothing, so let's go. And sometimes looking at it with the end of, hey, if this is as bad as it gets, what do we do next? Might shed some clarity on how we show up and take the next step forward. To, yes, absolutely. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? What advice would you have told this newlywed recently expectant mother? Oh, goodness. I would have said, regardless of what happens, you're going to be okay. Well, the uh, older version of, of that 20-year-old has proven that true. And so my final question of you, Dr. April Jones, is this. It has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? Just two words. She sparkled. <laughs> <laughs> And to fully expand on that, I, I would just say that glitter on its own doesn't doesn't shine. It, it really needs light. And I think what I've realized is that, you know, I'm deciding to live life on purpose and with joy and, and with hope and gratitude, but also like on its own, it's not enough. Like I, I recognize that I need God's light to shine off of me to really make me sparkle. And I have embraced that and it's how I choose to live moving forward. So I hope that as people remember me when I'm gone or if they, when they look at me and meet me, I want them to say that I sparkle. Well, my friends, the sparkle that you are hearing right now is also the author of a book called No Mess, No Message. Her name is Dr. April Jones. She clearly does sparkle and she reminds us that you do too. And she also shared a quote that I'll paraphrase right now. Whether you are proud of where you are, ashamed of it, or you pretend it does not matter and you do not matter, you either let where you come from and where you are propel you forward or you use it to hold you back. But the good thing is this, my friends, you get to choose. Dr. April Jones, I want to thank you for sparkling during this podcast. Thank you so much for allowing me the chance to share my message and connecting with you, John. My friends, that is Dr. April Jones. I am John O'Leary, and today is your day. Sparkle and live inspired. My friends, thank you so much for listening to today's Live Inspire podcast. I'd love to hear from you send me an email at podcast at johnolearyinspires.com with your feedback, maybe your guest suggestions for future shows, stories on how this podcast has helped you live more inspired, or questions that you have for me. Again, send that email to me at podcast at johnolearyinspires.com. I can't wait to share with you the next episode.